Well, um, got a couple things I wanted to uh, share with you here before we open our Bibles together. Uh, just some announcements. One, just to remind you that following the worship service, we have a quarterly meeting for um, uh, inc- strongly encourage all of you who are members to stick around for that. And for those of you who aren't, uh, you are quite welcome to join us. So um, just a reminder of that. So at the end of the worship service, we'll transition over into that meeting. We'll just meet right here. Uh, Next Sunday, we are going to host the Valley Vista worship service for the residents there at Valley Vista Care Center in St. Mary's. So just wanted to to let them know not to come down to do baptisms until the ice was off the lake. (laughs) So I guess no ice on the lake, so we're at least clear of that hurdle. Um, But July 10th um, is when that will happen, and uh, we're uh, coordinating with the uh, the generous owners out at uh, Black Rock um, to have it on their beach on Anderson Lake, and which will be uh, awesome. So we're looking forward to that. So if you're thinking about being baptized uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ, please let me know, and we'll get together and talk about that and make preparations for that. If you're, if, uh, and otherwise, I would just encourage you to plan on attending that. So uh, more details about that will be coming as well. So let's, let's ask the Lord to uh, just... Direct our steps in in truth today as he's promised to do. Lord, as we come to your word, we're so grateful for your presence um, with us, with the body of Christ here, your bride. Lord, you you have given your life for her. And uh, so, Lord, together we thank you for what you've done for us. We ask that, Lord, together here today, that we would just be present with thanksgiving before you as we open your word. Lord, that we would be not just hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of it, that we would be molded into the image of your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. And um, we ask that, that by your spirit, you would lead us into all truth as we open your word, that you would uh, guard this precious seed that has been entrusted to us and uh, Lord cause it to to produce the fruit of godliness in our lives Uh, Lord that we would be your ambassadors here and for those today who are seeking you who have not come to know you um, for themselves Lord I just ask that that you would move them by your spirit that you would Remove that veil from their eyes that they would be able to know you for themselves as Lord and Savior, the one who would forgive them of their sins and invite them into the family of God today. Uh, So we pray for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 34. And, And... Oddly enough, even though we've got uh, five chapters left here in the book of Exodus, we're actually going to clip through these next few chapters at a pretty good pace. Um, There's a a good chunk of the next few chapters here that are actually um, basically saying that what, uh, that kind of present to us um, that Moses followed through with what God previously in the previous chapters that we've looked at told him to do. So uh, Moses went and met with God. God said, say this to the people. And then the following chapters here, uh, 35 and through 40, are largely about Moses doing what God told him to do, relaying the information to the people and, and uh, calling them to obedience uh, to God. And so, so we'll move a little quicker through the next few chapters um, because it is, it is almost verbatim uh, things which we've already covered. Um, but we will. there will be certainly some things in there that we want to want to go ahead and and catch along the way but today we're going to be end of chapter 34 we're going to pick it up in verse 27 and uh, before we do that there was a a passage uh, um, a few weeks ago that when we were earlier in in uh, chapter 34 there's a few verses in in chapter 34 that I think are a great one for us to to really internalize together to remember not only what um, what Exodus uh, is about, the theme of Exodus, but also to internalize the Word of God. 
that these truths get planted within us and that we grab hold of them and, and, don't, uh, and, and don't let go. And so I'm going to ask you to, to join with me in what I, um, I just kind of titled it Exodus Creed. I thought it was a good, a good window into the book of Exodus and a good window into this God who reveals himself to mankind. And uh, so would you stand with me as we join that together from Exodus 34? The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, we, uh, uh, we don't have a lot of uh, liturgy in our church, but uh, the roots of liturgy are to, to take the truths of God that we find in Scripture and help us internalize those so that we don't forget them that they stay with us. Now, liturgy can also be overdone to the point where we just do it out of rote, uh, just like, you know, we don't even think about what we're doing or saying. And we don't want to get to that point. But uh, my hope and my intent with us joining together in the reading of God's Word is that it would find its way into our heart and never leave. That the Holy Spirit Himself would uh, prompt us with those words that we internalize together. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 34, verse 27. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So the Lord is giving a, a new uh, copy of the Ten Commandments here, of the commandments of God, the terms of the covenant relationship between God and the people. And you, you will notice there are some details here that uh, it says that um, Moses was with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and he neither ate bread nor drank water. And what's interesting, as we move into the Gospels in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus in a similar experience where the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness and he spends 40 days and 40 nights um, in, uh, in solitude uh, 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 save the unity that he has with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And, um, and there was without food and water and, and on the tail end, towards the tail end of that or somewhere in there, I guess we're not told exactly that, that point at which some of this happens, but... Um, but he was tempted by Satan himself, and uh, yet our Savior remained without sin and would not give in to the temptations that were being um, given to him. But Moses here is a uh, foreshadowing of someone greater. He's a picture of someone greater to come. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 17, um, I think we have that up here, maybe. Yeah, John in his gospel, in his sort of opening, says, For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One of the things that I loved about John's gospel is a lot of what John does in his gospel is points out um, all the things that Jesus is greater than. Things that were uh, held sacred, um, especially to the Jews, things that were held sacred that John goes to point out Jesus is greater than that. 
As great as these things were, Jesus is greater. As great as the temple was, Jesus is greater. As great as Torah was, Jesus is greater. As great as Moses was, Jesus is greater. As great as Abraham was, Jesus is greater. You get the message. That's John's gospel. That's the message of John's gospel in large part is that Jesus is greater. So as we look and and see here in Exodus chapter 34, this little little thing about uh, Moses being in the wilderness here for 40 days and 40 nights uh, fasting, um, this is another way in which Exodus points forward towards something greater to come. Keeping on here, verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. All right, so uh, I, think you, I think you follow there, but what happens is Moses comes down after meeting with God one-on-one, and, um, and his, his face is radiating uh, literally, and I mean literally in the literal sense, uh, in the actual definition of the word. His face is literally radiating um, as he comes down. But Moses isn't aware of this. So as, uh, as he comes down off the mountain, his, his skin is shining, face is shining uh, because he'd been talking with God, but not aware of it. Verse 30, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So the effect of this that it, that it had on the people was it provoked fear. Um, that was their, their initial reaction to what they saw in Moses. Uh, Moses, of course, here, the, the, the reason that his face is shining uh, is it's a uh, residual reflection of the glory of God. Now that, wrap your brain around that. Um, a residual reflection of the glory of God. So, um, you know, as we turn on a light, we see clearly in the room. But when we turn the light off, things go dark again. Uh, in this case, Moses steps into the presence of God, and when he leaves the presence of God, the glory of God is so great that Moses is still reflecting the glory of God as he heads back down the mountain. That speaks not to Moses, uh, Moses' glory. It speaks to how incredible that the glory of God is. Verse uh, 32, so uh, they were, uh, verse 31, the people, you know, their initial response is fear. Verse 31, but Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him at, in Mount Sinai. Now, one of the things it's, it's uh, good to keep in mind here is that, of course, this is written uh, under the inspiration of, of the Holy Spirit um, through Moses. And so Moses is keenly aware of these details while the Holy Spirit is, is uh, provoking him to put this down here. And so... Uh, this also speaks to something that I think is uh, um, something incredible about Scripture, and that is that while it is the, the words of God, that God used um, people to bring these words to pr- bring these words to preservation so that we have the very words of God. And he didn't just like uh, zap their personalities and their memories in the process. Didn't turn them into you know mindless sort of zombie writing machines, uh, but rather preserved them in the way He created them, and filled them and and moved them with the Holy Spirit to write in accordance with what He would have them communicate to us, and to reveal about Himself. And so here Moses, this is Moses writing about this, um, and in awareness of what he's writing. And this is something that is, uh, uh, um, from Moses' perspective even, is, is important for us to understand. That um, this little sort of sidebar, it almost seems, in the, in the flow of things uh, about Mo- Moses coming down and his face shining and the reaction of the people to this. 
Um, so there's gonna, we're going to look at some things uh, about that we learn through these verses here today that I think are really important for us to, to grasp, and I think were important for the Israelites to grasp at the time. Verse 32, Afterward all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel that he was commanded, uh, what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. So this was not just a one-time thing, but this was a, a regular occurrence, at least for a time, where when Moses would go in to, to have the Lord speak with him, he would come out and his face would just be radiating the, uh, from the reflection of the glory of God. Now, um, I find it interesting that Moses was not really aware of this. When the people, uh, the Israelites, encountered the reflection of the glory of God on Moses, they're terrified. Moses actually radiating uh, the reflection of God's glory is unaware of it. And while the glory, uh, uh, and this glory, um, while it sort of provoked fear and, and, and the threat of pain in others, um, the, the unholy encountering the holy, um, for, for the one who is uh, bearing the favor of God, um, there's certainly, uh, it's the absence of that fear. There are five things here in the, in the passage today that I want to take a look at that, um, that are revealed through Moses and Israel's experience. And, uh, and the last one we'll actually uh, see a, a, a little bit of uh, commentary from the Apostle Paul on this incident here. And that gives us, um, that puts, takes what Exodus has to reveal here and puts it in the light of the gospel the coming of Christ. And, uh, and this is one of the things that I've mentioned several times, is Exodus is, a, is an Old Testament gospel. It points forward to Christ. It lays the groundwork for understanding salvation, for understanding the need for a Savior, and, and seeing how God loves the people that He's created. And, and he, he wants to preserve the unity of, of the family of, of His family and uh, goes to great lengths to save and rescue those whom he's called. And, um, and we're going to see that tie in as we work our way through this. The first one is this. Uh, this passage here, it confirmed and reestablished um, Moses' divine calling as a leader and mediator for the people. So if you, if you put it in context here, if you think, to all, think back to all that's been happening in Exodus... Um, that, uh, first of all, the, the people were a little bit slow to get on board with Moses, the idea of Moses being uh, the leader that God had picked for them. Uh, and then there's been uh, some back and forth here on their level of commitment to actually follow his lead. And, uh, and then there was the incident where um, Moses goes up to the mountain to speak with God, God speak with him, rather, and, um, and he comes back down, and the people had already sort of forsaken their covenant with God, Worshiping a golden calf, things were like the wheels were coming off in a big way, and um, so things have been really rough here. And the people have uh, had a, a really a, a hard heart towards God and towards Moses, and a reluctance to follow him. and And what happens here in Moses's face radiating from being in the presence of God? It just reaffirms, reestablishes among. The Jews that, no, this is my guy. This is the guy that I have chosen to lead you and to be and to mediate. And it and it just it just once again God settles the debate on whether Moses should be the guy. The second thing is this that it confirmed Yahweh's presence among his people. And this was really, really important, especially at this specific point in time. Because after the, the, you know, the golden calf thing, and, and I'm not going to rehash all of this, 
Uh, you can go back and read it in the previous few chapters here. Um, but the, the people um, forsake God while Moses was away. You know, the, that, that saying, while the cat is away, the mice will play. Well, things just, I mean, it's like the teacher stepped out of the room and she came back and there's stuff hanging off of everything. Right? Um, that's what happened. And, and so the people are worshiping this golden calf and the guy who's supposed to be um, helping them to, to, to walk in covenant with God and be reminded of His presence uh, actually is helping them in all of this madness. And, and God says, that, that's enough. Um, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep my distance from you guys. You go to the promised land. Um, I'll be back here. Uh, I'll send some representatives, some angels that will kind of go along and, and uh, I'm not going to totally forsake you here, but, uh, but I, I can't do, I, I'm not, I, I just can't be in the presence of what's going on here. And the people freaked out that, with the idea that God was going to just leave them on their own, cut them loose. And Moses pleads with God for him to remain, for his presence to remain with them. Um, not just to have a, a distant association with him, but that he would remain with them. Moses um, intercedes for the people on their behalf. That God, please go with us. Uh, in fact, that Exodus Creed that we just said together was him doing exactly that. In verse 9 it says, And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst for, uh, of us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Um, the people are terrified. And so one of the things that happens here with Moses reflecting the glory of God is a reminder that God is present with his people. God is present with Moses, and God is present with his people. The third thing is this, that it confirmed Yahweh's greatness. And specifically, it confirmed his greatness above all other gods. All other options that the Israelites might be able to consider, including the golden calf, Yahweh is greater. Including the gods of Egypt that were defeated. If you go back and look at the context here, the plagues of Egypt were just as much against uh, the gods of Egypt as they were against the Egyptians. So... Um, God just totally decimated uh, the Egyptian gods in the eyes of the people. And he wanted to make sure they understood who was really in control. Um, who really is the sovereign God of all. And once again, he reminds them of that. Imagine that it, they're not seeing the glory of, of, of God in, in his fullness and going, you know, whoa, we can't. We can't behold this. We can't look at this. This is, you know, and, and, and having a fearful response to that. Um, they're having a fearful response to the, the residual reflection of the glory of God. So it's like, imagine that it's not like just turning on a light, staring at it, turn it off, and you still see a little glow there uh, in, in, your, in, your, in your eyeballs. This is like you turn on a light, you look at a wall, the light goes off and, you, and it's still lit up. I mean, it's a residual lingering effect of the reflection of the glory of God. Not the direct encounter. So how great is Yahweh where the mere lingering effects of a reflect, His reflected glory are too much to look at? Psalm 89, verse 6-14 say this, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as You are, O Lord, with Your faithfulness all around You? We have a few more verses there. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, 
you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. The psalmist just declares the glory of God, the glory that is alone His. And so the third thing that Exodus 34 here, this encounter does, is to reveal and remind and settle once again that Yahweh alone has glory above all others. Incomparable glory, incomparable power, incomparable authority. The fourth thing is this. It reminded and revealed that with God's help, actually, a person can know and fellowship with God. Now you can imagine if you put yourself in the shoes of, of, the, of the Jewish people here where they've uh, so disobeyed God, um, they're probably having more of a response here, well they are having more of a response like Adam and Eve after uh, they rebelled against God. What happened in the garden? It's, it's the very same instinct that we have, by the way, today. When we sin, what do we do? Do we step out into the light and just let it be seen? No, we run and hide. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. When they rebelled against God, they ran and hid. They were fearful of Him. And the response of, of the Israelites here is one of fear and withdrawing from God for fear of His judgment. That instinctual fear at the core of who we are that knows we're guilty and knows that God's wrath should be poured out on us. But the reality is this, that by God's grace, He makes a way for us to know Him. The One whom we would fear, His wrath, makes a way for us to actually have fellowship with Him. To know Him, as it says here uh, in, in, uh, previously, that Moses went and uh, when he talked with God, it was God would talk with him as a friend. That's, that's powerful and incredible. Now, I don't want to, obviously we... Uh, We're not going to cherry pick one verse here and broadly apply it. The reality is this. We put this in the context of of the gospel, of the New Testament, of the coming of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And now we recognize that as Ephesians says, that when, when we become a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of His, He seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. It guarantees that now we belong to Him and that he's going to finish what he started. That eternal life is, is, is a promise and certainty uh, for us. That inclusion into the family God is a certainty for us. And, and not only that, but it says in John's Gospel, it says to those who believed in his, in his name, he gave them the right to be, be, become uh, part of the family of God. Sons and daughters of God. To know him as Father. In book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13, uh, I love this. Um, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What, what makes uh, uneducated common men astonishing? The presence of Jesus. Uh, that, that's what does it. Um, in fact, God is largely in the habit of taking people who uh, we, we, re- we really don't shine brightly in and of ourselves here. Takes very kind of ordinary folks and does astounding things through us. Transforms our lives and, and works through us in ways that uh, are not explained through, uh, through our psychology books. Because the power of God is the source. The presence of God is the source. 
This is the way in which we shine brightly in this present age. It is not that we walk around with faces that are, are, are physically radiating, uh, although we, can, we, we, will, we will sometimes use that kind of language because we can see the joy of Christ in people and we recognize that. Um, but in Moses' case, it was like a, the guy's face was a light bulb. Um, and we don't have that experience uh, at least I've not encountered or, or, or experienced it for myself or seen it in others. Uh, but I will say this, that the way in which we shine forth and the way that we're called to shine is in radiating the glory of God through the way we live. What makes um, these uneducated common men astonishing is the presence of Jesus and the character and person of Jesus being reflected in the way they live, in the way they speak, in the confidence that they have in speaking it. The fifth thing is this. Um, oh, just to double back to that, we'll make one last point here. Um, you know, Moses, it says that Moses wasn't even aware of how much he was reflecting the glory of God. Uh, the same could be said of, of Christians, I think, that we, we uh, when we spend time with our Lord, when we commit ourselves to walking in His ways, uh, a lot of times we don't even recognize how much we're beginning to act like Him and sound like Him it, as the Lord works through us. And this is a beautiful thing. This just speaks to the transforming power of God in our lives. The power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Fifth thing is this. With the coming of, of Christ, it reveals that believers and followers of Jesus Christ have been given uh, this, this reflected glory, only it's a lasting glory. With Moses, it was for a, a, a short duration, relatively short duration where Moses reflected the, the, the residual glory of God. Um, but for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, you have been promised and have been given the presence of God Himself wherever you go. Where you go is where God goes. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is in you, with you. Not that you become the Holy Spirit. Not that you somehow become God. There's a very, very, very big difference between the two. But rather, that He dwells with us. That here in Exodus, where the place where God would dwell was going to be the tabernacle, where, the, where God made His presence known among His people was the tabernacle, where in the New Testament, the language that gets used by the Apostle Paul is that you are the temple of God. That the new place where God dwells is me and you, followers of Jesus, who have committed our lives to Him, who trust Him. And so, where we go also goes the name and the presence and the glory of God. And anything that we reflect of His glory, anything that shines through us of His glory, is not our own. We really don't have glory to bring to this save the fact that we've been created in His image and in that there is a certain way in which we are bearers of the glory of God simply because we're created in His image. But even well beyond that, that the presence of the Holy Spirit now is with those who believe in Him. The Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And one of the cool things about what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there with me. In fact, uh, if you don't want to turn there with me, go ahead and do it anyways. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, uh, and, I, and I, I, I really love this. So one of the, one of the things that we try to to really operate out of here and just in terms of understanding God's word is um, one, we recognize these are his words, not ours. They're not from men. They're from God. Uh, he brought them to us through men, 
but uh, nonetheless, they are his. They belong to him. Secondly, because they belong to him, and because no one knows God like God does, the Holy Spirit is our ultimate interpreter and translator. He's the one who gives us the ultimate understanding of his word. But along with that, we need to be diligent students of his word to do our best to try and grasp and understand, take in, comprehend uh, what he's spoken to us and what he's still speaking to us through his word, in which the Holy Spirit is, is our helper. And, um, and so one of the tools that we use here in trying to understand, comprehend God's word is a lot of times the things we're trying to comprehend, God explains himself. And so as we're trying to grasp some of these things in Exodus, we've looked up uh, uh, several passages in Hebrews because it gives an understanding of all the stuff going on in Exodus. It gives an understanding of the importance and the value in that, uh, especially in the light of Christ. The same is true here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul grabs hold of this incident back in Exodus and puts it in the context of believers uh, f- filled with the Spirit, living and walking in Spirit, um, believers in Christ. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read uh, several verses here together. Paul says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that, uh, that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. Now Paul's making a reference here to the transformed lives that the people are beginning to live out in Jesus Christ. That that alone is a testimony to the message in which Paul and others have brought to them of the truth of the gospel. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Get that little reference there. Not on tablets of stone, um, which we read back in Exodus, right? What happened? God, had, uh, God recorded on the tablets uh, the commandments, the terms of the covenant. But here, he, he kind of drops this little comment that it's not preserved on tablets of stone, what he's talking about. It's preserved on the tablets of human hearts, what he's talking about here. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. So as we think about uh, the glory of, that Moses was reflecting here, it wasn't the glory of Moses, but the glory of God that people were seeing. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What is Paul talking about? The letter. The letter that he refers to is the letter of the law. The law which brings with it condemnation because the law points out your violations. The law... While it shows the path of blessing, it also brings condemnation because it shows where you have rebelled against God. It illuminates that. And he says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7, now if the ministry of death, so now Paul kind of throws a phrase in here because he's referred to the law and the law bringing condemnation, um, then he, then he refers to it now as the ministry of death. Carved in letters on stone. If that came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? See what Paul's doing there? He's saying God gave the law. The law had a purpose. In fact, the New Testament reveals to us that the purpose of the law is to be our teacher, our tutor, to bring us to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, to, to, where we will find forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. But the law in and of itself is only, only sufficient to bring us so far. It brings us to the foot of the cross. 
And that's its job. Its job is not to save us, to rescue us. Its job is to bring us to the one who does. And that's what Paul is pointing out here. That if, if the law, whose purpose was not to save, but to bring us to the one who saves, if, if that had such a powerful glory um, it, that, that people couldn't stand to bear it, how much more glory then it comes with the, the, the spirit, in the Spirit who brings life, not condemnation. Verse 9, For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. He's saying there's something greater that's arrived now than the Old Testament law. Something better, greater is here. Something more glorious is here. Verse 10, Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites would not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. You understand what he's saying? He's, he's saying that even now, that there are those who, and of course this was, Paul stated this many years ago, but the same is true today. That even now, there are those who read the Old Testament law, who consider these truths of God, and have a veil over their eyes that prevent them from understanding what's going on and what God is saying. Because it is only through Christ where that veil is removed. If we keep going here, verse 15, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says, believers, you think about how great Moses is. How when Moses came off the mountain after being with God, the glory of God was still reflecting off of him. And we go, wow, that's incredible. And Paul says, yeah, I know. But guess what? You, believer, have something even far greater than that. You have the very presence of God and the Holy Spirit residing in you, with you, indwelling you. People of God. The glory of God shining through you. A glory that doesn't fade. A glory that's lasting. A glory that's eternal. Because we are being transformed more and more, as Paul says towards the end of that passage, that we're being transformed into the image of Christ by the work of the Spirit in our life. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Okay, now that's a big statement, right? Because Jesus has to consider um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Moses, David. And he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Whoa. The one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John the Baptist. What makes him greater? Is he just a stud? I don't think so. It's not what God's Word says. 
It's because the glory of God, His presence is with you. You have been forgiven and you have been made a child of the living God. You have been given the promised Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about us as being saints. Um, Not because we've whipped up some miracle or there's been some apparition of us across the planet somewhere, um, but because you belong to Him and you have a calling on your life. You have the indwelling presence of God right here, right now, wherever you go, and it is your calling to represent Him in this world. Whether it's your vocation or not, it is your calling as people of God to represent Him in this world. And in so doing, you are saints, you are priests. You are the ones who bring the message of the cross to people who are lost. Church, this is the glorious purpose for which we've been uh, called and entrusted with this message. There was somebody who was faithful to do this in your own life, who was faithful to be bold, as Paul says here, that we're not like Moses where we hide our face behind the veil anymore, but in boldness we speak these, these truths. Somebody in boldness spoke these truths in your life for those of you who are saved, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, and you responded to it. Now, it's our calling to be that voice in someone else's life, to be that person that calls them to Jesus. If you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, I want to I share with you a glorious promise from Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter, in sharing the gospel message, the news of Jesus being crucified for us and rising again, that we would have the hope of eternal life, that he had the power to forgive, the power to heal, the power to give life. And Peter says to them, repent, which is to turn away. Turn away from the way you've been living. Turn away from who you've been serving. And be baptized, which is to, uh, what is wrapped up in that term baptized is not only the the getting wet part. um, It is the surrendering your life to him part. It is the identifying yourself as now belonging to him uh, part of the family of God because you, entr- you trust Him and you've received His forgiveness. So repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, who will never leave you nor forsake you, who will ever be your helper and your counselor to help you along the way. This is a promise to everyone who turns to Him with a repentant heart, knowing your sin for a holy and righteous God, saying, God, please forgive me, a sinner. Jesus Christ, who gave himself for me, I, I want that forgiveness. To trust God's sacrifice at the cross for you. He loved you. The Bible says he loved you so much that he gave his son sacrifice for you to save you and bring you into his family. Take hold of that gift and receive him today and along with him receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to teach you to live a new life, to fill you with that life. Father, as we thank you for all that you've done for us, we thank you for your word in which you reveal yourself. We ask that you would help us to walk in these truths, to commit them to the most inner parts of who we are. Um, Lord, that... uh, you would bring them to mind, that you would teach us, that you would lead us along the way. Um, we, I just ask for those, Lord, who um, would consider gi- giving, your li- giving their lives to you today, receiving the gift of salvation and the Holy Spirit whom you, you've promised to them. I, I ask that you would give them courage to take that step of faith today to receive you as their Lord, as their Savior, to ask you to forgive them of their sins, 
and to teach you teach them now how to help them live like the children of God that they've become. And Lord, help us all shine brightly as lights of God in this universe, um, that your presence would shine through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. up here for us. I think it was the third one you did. Um, ends with uh, power of my power. Is that right? Can you can you read that one for us? That line. That verse. Yeah. Third. Third one. My favorite. Be thou my battle shield, sword for my fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight, thou my soul's shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward. O power of my power. It's a good one. Whole thing. I love it. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light that shines out of you is the good works that you do in the name of and in the power of God, who is the power of your power. Um, stand in Him, walk in Him, learn to walk in His ways and step with His Spirit uh, and shine brightly, church. Lord, bless and keep you. Father, we thank you so much once again. Help us shine brightly with your light. Help us to walk in your calling as your children for your glory, created in your image, called by your name into your family and into your kingdom with your message, your, your son whom you gave for us. In whose name we pray.